Hey, y'all. Welcome to RUF. My name is Will Nettleton. I'm the RUF campus minister here at Trinity. Really glad you're with us tonight. Thank you all for laboring on without me last week. Uh, if you were here, I was not here. I was deathly ill. Uh, that was the sickest I've been as an adult. It was a sad situation. Um, it is sad to get older and to continue to like still struggle with these things because you don't get better at it. Like You just get more fragile. So anyway, thank you all for continuing. Um, I was kind of worried this week as I was preparing to come back. Um, back in the Church of England in like the 1800s, if they just didn't like a preacher, they would just like lock the doors on him. So I was afraid I would come back this week and y'all would be like, that was actually really fun without him. We should just do that. We should do that every week. So thank you for not doing that. You didn't even know it was an option. Now next week you're going to do that. So that's awesome. All right, if you got a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the first couple verses and then verses 8 through 11. Um, if you've been with us, you know we've been studying the Ten Commandments, uh, these guides that God gave Israel for how to stay free. He rescued them out of slavery from Egypt, and then he gave them these commandments, um, not to earn their salvation, because they'd already gotten it, um, but to stay free. How did they keep from going back into slavery by keeping God's law? And I've been putting before us every week that that's actually true for us as well, uh, that these are not given to us as boxes to check uh, to get into the good place when we die. They are a guide, a compass that God has given us. Now that he has offered us salvation in Jesus, he has handed us this law back to us as a way to live. Uh, that he said this is the way that he's designed the universe. And I actually think there's nowhere where that is more clear than in the commandment that we're going to look at tonight. Tonight we come to the fourth commandment, uh, keeping the Sabbath. And what I, I think this actually may be one of the most important ones for us to talk about here at Trinity, God's command that we rest. God's command that we rest. And some of you are already laughing because you're like, this is going to suck. I know what's about to happen here. You do know it's about to happen. We're about to talk about it. So I think uh, this one has a good word for all of us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll ask God's Spirit to be with us, and then we will read uh, the passage together. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God uh, who gives your people rest, uh, who delights to give us uh, sleep. We thank you uh, that you have spoken this word. Uh, we know that it is no vain word, no empty word, but it is our very life. And just as we don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from your hand, I pray that you would feed us tonight. Lord, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, we'll read Exodus 21 and 2 just for context, and then we'll jump down to verse 8 and the commandment for tonight. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then skipping down to verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but God's word endures forever and ever. Uh, one of our favorite books to read to our son Cooper right now is a little book by the name Little P. Are any of you familiar with this? This is probably after y'all's time. Okay, Little P is about a character who is a... Little P, little English P. And in the opening pages, you learn that there are a lot of things that little P likes. He likes rolling down hills. He likes hanging out with his P pals. Um, but there is one thing that little P does not like, and that is eating his candy. 
uh, every night. That's what you have to eat every, every night for dinner when you're a pea, is candy. And all he wants is to get to dessert when he can eat spinach, which is bizarre when you think about it. Why is he eating another vegetable? There's a lot of cannibalism questions I have. But neither here nor there. The one thing that he does not want to eat is his candy. And it's this cute little book because kids love it. It's just ridiculous to them that anyone would ever have to be told to eat their candy, right? Like that's hilarious to kids. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that he would have to be commanded to eat his candy. If you love spinach and hate candy to a like two-year-old, that's insane, right? That, that should not exist. It's very funny to them. Tonight, we come to the fourth commandment, which is essentially this. God says, stop. Stop working. Just rest. Take a break. Take a nap. And you almost have to stop and ask, like, wait, why is this in the list of 10 rules that God is commanding his people to follow? Does that not strike you as odd? It's like commanding you to eat your candy, right? Like, who would have to be told to rest? Who would have to be told to take a break? You would think that we would all be chomping at the bit for that. And I think if I asked most of you, like, would you like to take a break? Are you looking forward to spring break? Most of you are like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. Like, please just get me to the break. And yet none of us are doing it, right? Like none of us are taking a break. I think there's something in the human condition that makes us want to hurry through life. And if the statistics are to be believed, that is killing us. And ironically, it's making us less efficient. I think this is actually a really interesting point. It's been proven by study after study that there is zero correlation between hurry and productivity. In fact, once you work a certain number of hours in a week, your productivity actually plummets. Some of you actually experience this in your life, right? You, you just get to a certain point where if you keep working, you can try, but it's the law of diminishing returns. Like you're just not getting anything done. You're reading the same page over and over and over again. Has that ever happened to you where you just are not making any progress? Anybody want to guess what the number of hours you can work in a week is before your productivity starts to drop off? It's about 50 hours, actually. 50 hours is about how many you can work a week before your productivity starts to level off and then to plummet. Ironically, that's about a six-day work week. Sounds like God might have been onto something there, right? One 2014 study out of Stanford University found that there was zero difference in productivity between workers who logged 70 hours and those who logged 55. 15 more hours, no more productive than the ones who worked 55. Okay, so working more doesn't help us get more done. And I think we can all agree that it doesn't make us happier, right? We know that part. So why do we do it? Why do we keep doing that? In 2016, the Harvard Business Review conducted a study on the change in social status in America. And what they came up with was that it used to be that leisure was a sign of wealth. That was how you knew if somebody had money. If they had time to take vacations, if they had time to hang out. People with more money spent their time playing tennis or sailing in the bay or sipping white wine over lunch, whatever it was. Uh, but that's changed. Now busyness is actually a sign of your wealth. Uh, it's actually a sign of how much higher you are up on the totem pole if you are more busy. You see this as a cultural shift in advertising, right? Commercials and magazine ads for luxury items, almost, they used to have like people chilling out in boats and on beaches. And now they have people in like these really fancy offices, uh, or traveling in like the really nice first class on a plane to do some kind of business trip. Um, there's been a shift in the way we think about these things. A century ago, the less you worked, the more status that you had, and now it's completely flipped. The more you sit around and relax, the less status that you have. 
Um, the short version of this, okay, let me just wrap that all up. Busyness is our new God. Busyness is our new God. And I think I can actually prove this to you at Trinity. If you were to walk around campus this next week and poll everyone on campus and ask them how they are doing, what would be the first word out of their mouths? I'm tired. I'm tired. Right? You didn't even have to think about it. You all knew. I'm tired. Y'all, what if there is a better way? What if there is a better way for all of us? Okay, remember when you were a kid and your parents would try to make you take a nap? Do you remember that experience? This is really fun as a parent now. Because my son is so obviously tired all of the time because he's just barely not a baby. I mean, he's a baby. You know, he's just sleepy all the time. But he thinks naps are the worst thing that has ever happened to him. Uh, I remember being a kid. One of my earliest memories is being in kindergarten and them making us do nap time. And I remember that this may be a generational gap between us, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. We had these little mats that we had to take that were red and blue. Okay, they still did those. Good. I, I can still smell those mats. Can you smell them? Like, I know exactly what those mats smell like to this day. And so we would have those little red and blue mats that they would be a part of your school supply list. And after lunch, your teacher would tell you to put your mat on the ground, and they would turn the lights down, and you would have to take a nap. And, like, you as a kindergartner were like, this is bull crap. Like, I just want to play Oregon Trail. Or That was what we were doing on those, like, old, ancient Apple Mac. Never mind. Don't worry about it. We just didn't want to do it, right? No one wanted to take a nap. And now, would you not die for one of your professors to just come in and be like, y'all, I brought these mats in. (laughs) Everyone grab one, lay it on the ground. I'm going to turn the lights down, and we're all just going to take a nap. You would cry, right? Like You would cry (laughs) if your professor did that. If If some authority figure just was like, look, we're resting now. That's what we're doing. We're taking a nap. Y'all, I think that is exactly what the fourth commandment is doing. I think God is coming in and being like, we're taking a nap. We're resting. We're taking a break. Right? We're not doing this. You need to stop. You need to rest. Okay, so I want to look at four things tonight. Uh, What do we do? How do we do this Sabbath? Or so what is the Sabbath that we're going to do? How do we do it? And why do we do it? Actually, three things. So I'm bad at math. Three things. What do we do the Sabbath? How do we do it? Why do we do it? Okay, so what are we actually doing? What is it that God is commanding us to do in this commandment? Look back at verse 8 with me, where he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay, so God gives us two things for this commandment. Remember and keep it holy. Why does Israel need to remember the Sabbath day? Okay, so for Israel, this is not the first time that they've heard about this, not the first time they've heard about Sabbath. On their way out of Egypt, God provided them manna, right? The magic bread from heaven. You remember that story? They get that for six days out of the seven. And then Exodus 16, 23 tells us that the seventh day was supposed to be a day of rest. They're supposed to take a break uh, from that, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And so that was the pattern. You had six regular days, and then you had one day that was set apart. And on that day, they were supposed to remember God's provision for them. Uh, The Sabbath day was a day to recall all the ways that God's worked for them from Egypt up until now and the way he's given them his grace. And it was an opportunity to worship, to worship God. Okay, so remembering, that's what Israel is called to do. That's what God's also calling us to do. Remember the Sabbath day. And remembering, as you can imagine, involves far more than just like actually calling it to mind, right? Remembering the Sabbath is kind of like remembering someone's birthday or like an important anniversary. It's not enough to just remember the day. Right? There has to be more than that. There need to be presents and there need to be cards and stuff. 
right? I always think of Dwight Schrute's banner for the birthday, right, in the office. It is your birthday, right? That's an insufficient birthday celebration. That's not enough for us. You have to make it special. That's what remembering the day means. It means using it to show our love for God in a special way. And it means keeping it holy. Okay, so holy is one of those loaded, I don't know what tradition you grew up in. Maybe you're exploring Christianity for the first time. We, we always want to say that you're welcome here. We're always glad you're part of RUF. Even if you never change your mind on any of this stuff, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, so holy may be one of those words for you, for you that you're like, I've heard that. I feel like I got a general sense of what it is. Uh, but it's a loaded spiritual word that we often just assume means morally righteous. The things that are just like the best or whatever. But actually in the Old Testament, holy just meant set apart for a special use. Usually it had a religious element to it or a moral element to it. But it just meant set apart. That's what holy meant. This is why you could have plates in the temple that were holy. Right? They were holy plates. Were they more righteous than the other plates? No. They just were set apart for a different use. They were set apart for a spiritual use. This kind of helps you understand, right, why God talks about being holy and his people being holy, that they are set apart uh, for a special purpose. Uh, they weren't always more righteous than everybody else. We know that from the rest of the Old Testament. So when God commands us to keep the Sabbath day holy, he's saying set this day apart. Set it aside from the other days. It's different than the other six days of the week. Okay, so that's what God's calling us to do. Remember it, keep it holy, set it aside. So how do we actually do that? He actually gives us what he wants us to do in verses 9 and 10. Look back at those. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Okay, so God begins by telling us what to do with the other six days of the week. Did you notice that? When God talks about what he wants us to do with the Sabbath, he actually starts with the other six days. And what does he want us to do with them? He wants us to work. God wants us to, six days shall you do all your work. And so the Sabbath command is not saying that work is a bad thing, right? That's not what God is here to do, to just make you feel terrible about work. Work is actually a good thing. Work was actually God's idea. We were made to work. It's actually a divine gift from him that goes back before the fall. There's this common misconception that work was like this punishment that came after the fall uh, because Adam and Eve didn't do stuff right. But if you look back at Genesis 2.15, before, before sins entered the picture, God's giving Adam work to do. What does he say there? I put it on your handout. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so work was an original part of the picture. It was an original part of the plan. I think part of, the reason, part of our misunderstanding on this, by the way, is why we have such a hard time thinking of heaven as like a, like a thing that we look forward to because we're like, what are we going to do, sit around the whole time? Like we're just going to sing and do all that? We're going to do that forever? And actually, no, we're not going to do that because God from the get-go, when everything was still good, had work to be done. And I think that'll be true hereafter as well. Okay, side note. So we're made to work. That's part of what the Sabbath commandment tells us. We're made to work. But that's an important distinction. We were made to work. We were not made for work. It is not the thing we were made for. We were made for God. We were made to work. And sin has now broken in and cursed our work as well. You're probably all too familiar with this component of it, right? Work can be really frustrating. Um, sin has broken in and messed things up for us. After Adam sinned, God told him in Genesis 3.17, Cursed is the ground because of you. 
in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So Adam's going to have to work the ground, but it's going to be hard. Work is always going to be hard. So that's true for us too. Work is still hard for us, but we're still hardwired for it. And so I think part of keeping the fourth commandment for us, how do we actually do this, is doing our work well the other days. Doing our work well for the glory of God. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I suspect that one of the reasons that most of us, and I really honestly am including myself in this here, one of the reasons that we are bad at keeping a Sabbath is that we just don't manage our time very well the other days of the week. Some of you are wizards at this, but some of you are like me. We, we just are not very good at managing our time. We either don't prioritize well, we procrastinate, uh, or we just waste time. And then we end up needing that extra day to stay on track or to get caught up with the things that we have put off. So actually the irony of the Sabbath uh, and doing it well is that it takes a little bit of work and planning to pull it off. It actually takes a little bit of work to rest well. It's a discipline. You were, this is never just going to happen to you. You're never just going to magically take one day a week uh, to rest and to worship. It takes planning and preparation. It takes self-control. It takes the capacity to say no to a whole list of good things so that you can say yes to the best thing. That is what Sabbath keeping is. It's saying no to a whole lot of good things so that you can say yes to the best thing. Okay, so part one of keeping Sabbath is you got to work well the other six days. You got to get all your stuff done in those six days. That's the only way you're ever going to be able to rest on the seventh one. Part two of keeping the Sabbath involves the actual day itself. So what do we do on the day? What are we actually going to do when we get there? Okay, so Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. You may have heard that one before. Shabbat just means stop. Just, just quit. Stop what you're doing. Uh, it, it really is this idea of just like dropping what you're doing and putting your arms down by your side. So part of resting on the Sabbath is stop doing the stuff that you do on the other days. So stop working. Whatever defines the other six days for you, whatever feels like work on the other days, don't do that on the Sabbath. So let's just be very practical, right? We're all college students here, not me, you. You are college students. What does that mean for you? Stop studying. Take a day away from your books. Take a day away from researching and reading and writing papers. So stop studying and do what? Just like take a day off. Uh, the Sabbath actually, as God unpacks it here, is way more than just a day off. Eugene Peterson uh, was a really famous pastor who passed away a couple years ago. But he had a name for, the, uh, for taking a day off and the way that we confuse it for the Sabbath. And he called it a bastard Sabbath. Really strong language. He said taking a day off is, or thinking of Sunday as a day off, uh, is the illegitimate child of the seventh day in Western culture. Ooh, that's strong. Uh, he says on a day off you don't work for your employer in theory, but you still work. You run errands, you clean up your room, you binge something on Netflix, you hang out with your friends, you go shopping. He's not saying that all of those things are wrong. That's all great stuff. I love doing all of those things. Um, I love my day off. But those activities do not make up a Sabbath. Sabbath is way more than those things. So what does make up a Sabbath? Notice the phrasing back in verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sabbath is... The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Okay, so on the, on the Sabbath, we Shabbat, we quit working, we drop the stuff that we do the other days, and we make it holy. We set it apart for God. 
In other words, I think the simplest way to think of this is that we rest and we worship. That's what we do on Sabbath. We rest and we worship. That's how we keep it. We stop our work and we worship God. And for some of you, that sounds like we take naps and we go to church. And that is part of what I mean, but it's not all of what I mean. Because worship is not simply singing worship songs. It is that. But worship is all of life. This is all of what we do uh, in life. So there are lots of things that fall under the category uh, of worship, things that we can do for the glory of God. So a helpful filter for you may be as you think about incorporating the Sabbath practice, which I hope you get that I'm encouraging you uh, to do, is to run any activity that you would want to do on that day through a grid. And that grid is simply this. Is this activity rest or is it worship or is it something else? Is it rest or is it worship? Uh, And if the answer is neither or kind of one of those but not really or I don't know, then just wait till tomorrow. Wait till the next day. You have six whole days for that. That's actually part of what I want to point out to this. God is giving us six whole days to do all that, and he just wants one for himself. He wants one, and it's actually for us, right? Part of what we're getting at is this is good for us as well. Um, do you ever wonder why some of you grew up in the church, you grew up in youth groups, you went to summer camp, some of you have been to RUF summer conference or fall conference with us, and you just had really good experiences. Have you ever, you ever had one of those experiences where you seem to have like what people call like a mountaintop experience? You ever had one of those at a camp where you just feel like, man, you are really connected to God and you feel like he is really speaking to you and really working in your life? Um, we love those experiences, don't we? Why did that happen for you on a weekend retreat or at a week-long summer camp? Part of the reason is just because you had the time. You had the time set aside to contemplate and to worship God. You left aside other distractions, and you just thought about Him for a weekend or a week or whatever it was. And lo and behold, it was actually good for you. You had an experience. You know, what if you could have one of those experiences every week? What if that could happen to you every week? That's part of the invitation of the Sabbath. Spend a whole day resting and worshiping God, contemplating Him, hearing His word preached, singing His praises, relaxing with friends, resetting before you go back to the hurry and scurry of your week. Okay, so what is it? How do we do it? And then finally, why do we do it? What motivates us to do the Sabbath? Okay, The commandment provides us lastly with a reason. Look back at verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the reason we're called to work and to rest is because we serve a God who does that. We serve a working, resting God. Did you catch that? God himself rested. God rested. The king of the universe, who upholds everything by the word of his power. Kind of a busy guy. He rested. And so your mind is like, as we're talking tonight, it's like, yeah, but I'm not like really into that. Right? I'm kind of an extrovert. I like to stay busy. God rested. Yeah, I get it, but I'm taking like 18 hours. I have three full-time jobs. I'm the president of like all of the clubs. God rested. It's just not feasible for me in this stage of life. Like maybe when I get out of college and like I get life on my own. God rested. God rested. And in doing so, he built a rhythm into the DNA of creation. This tempo 
of six days and then one. Six days and then one. And when we fight that, when we try to go seven days working all the time with no breaks until we just crash, when we fight that, we're going against the grain of the universe. God has built this into the rhythm of the universe. And so part of the reason we do this is because he did it. He set an example for us. There's actually another reason why as well. Um, Exodus 20 is not the only time we get the Ten Commandments listed. There's another time in Deuteronomy 5 where uh, Moses gives us another list. And they're repeated, but there's actually some different reasoning given in some of them. And in that version, the first part of this commandment is virtually identical. But then Moses gives a different reason for why they're supposed to remember the Sabbath. So listen to this from Deuteronomy 5.15. Why are they supposed to keep the Sabbath? Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, so in Exodus, the reason that we're given is creation. God is a resting, working God. Um, In this one, in Deuteronomy, the Sabbath points back to redemption, their salvation. It reminded Israel that they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Back in Egypt, there were no breaks. Right? They had to work seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, with no breaks ever, in grueling conditions. They were slaves. There were no breaks. Um, the Sabbath was not supposed to be a form of bondage to them, but a day of freedom. Can you imagine that? Going from a life where you never got a break. There was no vacation. There was no weekend on the horizon. There was nothing coming for you, but more labor. And then God delivers you and gives you a day every week. Where he, has to, he, he builds it in that you get a break. And not only you, what did our passage say? Your servants, right? The people that work for you, they also get a break. Because you're not going to be like the people that held you in slavery. You are going to be generous with other people. Um, so they were redeemed. But if you've been with us, you know that what I've been trying to do is connect our story to Israel's story. Israel was saved from Egypt. But we know the story that's coming in the New Testament, that Jesus has offered us a greater salvation. And even better liberation is offered to us because of him. Jesus, God the Son, came into the world to finish the work of his Father. In John 4, 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, to finish God's work. And on the basis of that work, his dying on the cross for our sins and rising again, Jesus is able to offer us rest for our souls. Right? If you look at your handout, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 is there. I love these verses from Jesus. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then the Apostle Paul tells us that if we rest in Jesus' work on the cross, we are actually made right with God. Listen to this from Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul says for those of us who rest in Jesus, our faith is counted to us as righteousness. We don't work for our righteousness, we rest in Jesus's. And I think this is actually, that last thing is actually at the core of our inability to keep this commandment. So if I've been, as you've been listening to me talk all night, if you've just been like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. I just know myself. I know myself. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. I can't pull that off. 
Um, I wonder if part of that is not because so much of our exhaustion is related to a distorted view of God. What if the reason for so much of what we do is that we are trying to constantly present a resume to others and God for acceptance? What if the reason that you cannot stop working is because you are so afraid that if you do, you will fall behind and people here will reject you? And not just people here, your parents and maybe even God himself. That if you take your foot off the gas for one second, you will lose everything. What if the inability to say no to opportunities, to social events, to anything that might get you ahead is because deep inside, it is our personal record that makes us feel okay with ourselves, with others, and with God. That if we just keep working, if we keep grinding, then we will be okay. But the Bible tells us that justification by faith means that you have nothing left to prove. Because Jesus has proved everything for you. You have no resume left to build with God and couldn't do it anyway, but you don't have one left to build because Jesus has proven it all and built a perfect resume for you to rest in. Justification means we are no longer exhaustively working to make God like us and accept us, but instead we are restfully working out of love for God because he already fully accepts us and likes us. God loves us and he likes us in Jesus Christ which I think is good news for our souls, but it's also good news for our time and how we spend it. You can actually take a day off. You can actually rest. You could actually take a Sabbath because Jesus rose from the dead and he defines you now. You know that no one else gets to decide who you are, that Jesus has decided who you are. And so you can take a break. You can take one day for rest and for worship because Jesus rose from the dead. That's actually part of the reason, maybe you've wondered as we've talked about Sabbath tonight, why did Jews continue to celebrate Sabbath on the last day, but Christians kind of traditionally celebrate this day on Sunday? You may have that question. Uh, one of the reasons that we do it on Sunday uh, is because Sunday is traditionally the day that Jesus, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. This is the day that he rose from the dead. We see examples of his followers gathering on what they called the Lord's Day. You see some references to that in the New Testament, uh, which is just what they meant by Sunday. Sunday was when they gathered to rest and to worship together. And so Christians from the first century on have traditionally gathered on Sunday to worship God together and to rest and to keep that Sabbath principle from the Ten Commandments. That there's one day in seven that we take to stop working and to worship and to give back to God. So what about you? What if there really is a better way forward for you? Like what if you could actually rest? What if that like kind of constant thrum of anxiety could just pause for one day every week? What if God might be working in just such a way in your life? Um, recently, there was a survey that was done by a doctor who was, trying, who was citing the happiest people on earth. And near the top of the list was a group of Christians called Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists are religious, literally, about the Sabbath. It's in their name, Seventh-day. They still believe that we, the Sabbath ought to be uh, on Saturday. It's a separate question. We can talk about it if you want to. But that's their main deal. They take a Sabbath every single week. And this doctor noted that they lived 10 years longer than the average American. Is that not crazy? They lived 10 years longer than the average American. And what's interesting is that if you do the math, if you Sabbathed every Sunday, every seven days, or for them every Saturday, and you did that for your whole life, it adds up to about 10 years. So this is literally adding years to their life. Right? When we say that the Sabbath is life-giving, we kind of mean literally. 
that you could live longer because of this. Or to say it another way, if you keep going the way you're going to go, you're going to die earlier. You were not built to live like this. None of us were. So what if there was a way? What if you could take off one day a week to rest and to worship God, and it could add years to your life, could make you more efficient at the work you do the other six days, and give you a weekly mountaintop spiritual experience where you get to experience the joys of communion with Jesus? Would that be worth your time? That's what the Sabbath is inviting you to. That's what God is asking you to consider. And I think it's part of what Jesus means when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. Let me pray for us. And then we'll say. God in heaven, thank you again uh, for the words of the psalmist. who tells us that it is in vain that we rise early and stay up late after anxious toil because you give to your beloved sleep. We thank you, Jesus, that you've said that you long to give us rest, that your yoke is easier and your burden is light. So I pray for my friends who who are overburdened, who are busy, who have many things uh, on their plate. Um, God, would you help? Would you call them uh, to this? Would you help us to order our days that we would work well for six and that we might have one where we get to commune with you, where we get to experience the highest of highs knowing you, resting and worshiping. Jesus, we thank you for the work that you did on our behalf, perfectly keeping God's law, that we might rest in that work, that we might be justified before God the Father because of what you've done. And we praise you for it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.